Tonight, we talk about what we like and did not like about Strange New Worlds Episode 4. And then after that, we're going to take a long, deep dive into the first two episodes of the special Kenobi. All this coming up right now on The Ryder Brothers. We'll get it right next week. And welcome back to your Tuesday night home for movies, games, shows, and books, past, present, and future. I am, of course, your host, Petey York, and I am joined once again by Corion, our witch in residence, Mr. Devil Cry 3, Brandon, aka Twitch streamer, aka wannabe game developer, aka loser. Also, the lovely CC Karaoke, who's giving me a run for my money with his hat tonight. And, of course, our lovely and beautiful producer, Pollo Zapatos, a.k.a. John, a.k.a. my favorite. That's right. I'm going to make fun of at least one of you per start stream, because I feel like it. Anyway. So, so wait a minute. How much do I have to bribe you now to be the favorite? Has that gone up now, or...? Depending on how much you make in USD versus Canadian dollars, we'll, we'll think about it and get back to you. But anyway... Well, with that, we would like to welcome you to our discussion, and we are going to, of course, start off with what we did not like about Strange New Worlds. And Chris, why don't you go ahead and, and start us off with that discussion tonight? Um, what what did you kind of not like, maybe sort of, could really feel could have been better about Strange New Worlds Episode 4? And if you want to paraphrase, summary, however you want to take the discussion, it's all yours. Well, uh, spoiler alert, I actually liked the episode, <laughs> uh, but... That being said, I there are some things that, that I would say could definitely have been cleaned up. And it was more like just uh, logic that I found in this episode in particular. Um, first thing it was what, I, what I've mentioned before is, I mean, okay, you got this new species. And they're going to make this... They're, 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 clearly, they're clearly trying to make this a really, like, important uh, thing. Like, you know, like the Borg in, in, in Next Generation. Um, or... or, or you know, the Cardassians, uh, a species in Star Trek that, that we will associate with this show and with, with the lore. And they're using the Gorn. It's like, really? I mean, you could have just made any new species, uh, named them anything you want, and started with a blank slate, but you're using the Gorn. Like, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose opinions will vary on that one, but it, it does bug me a bit. Uh, Beyond that, the things that, that, that bothered me about the episode were really, uh, again, again, like I said, logic-related. Uh, so, you, you know, they're, they're, the part where, where, they're, where they're doing the, the light flashing to, uh, to communicate, and so this, the, the shuttlecraft just happens to have the same, like, lighting abilities as the Gorn ships in exactly the same formations, and they could just, like... <laughs> it's, it's a completely alien species that they have almost no knowledge of, and yet... The shuttlecraft is properly equipped with the thing they didn't know was happening before they even got there. Um, you know, and then you know, there's the part where Ahura is is getting that, that big, incredibly heavy thing off of Hammer, and she just, you know, leans back and pushes it with her foot, and maybe it's not a super light thing, but it was certainly 
gave the impression that it was a bit heavier than I think someone could push with their foot. Um, you know, uh, so what else do I have written down here? There was a lot made about, about the pressure on the hull, you know, and the Enterprise is about to completely, like, get crushed by it. Eh, but we'll just, we'll just send a shuttlecraft out. It's all good, you know? <laughs> Even though it just completely destroyed that small Gorn ship. I, I mean, I went with it, but I don't, I don't think it was necessary from a writing standpoint to include that kind of a, a detail without, you know, explanation. Yeah, I, I thought the uh, I thought the shuttle deployed just before they went down, but I only watched the episode one time this week, so I don't. I would have to, and I only I actually watched it the day it came out, so <laughs> it's, I should have watched it again over the weekend, but that's okay. Um, why don't we go with Brandon? Brandon, you're our resident anti-Trekkie Trekkie, and not really anti-Trekkie, but you're our, you're our resident uh, sort of outsider, which is why we love having your perspective, because you get to watch this without any of the additional stipulation, but what did you kind of find in this episode that you're like, eh? Well, I mean... Oh, and of course, I also should probably say, welcome, Maria. Glad to have you back, uh, as always. Always happy to have your contribution and your input. Looking forward to hopefully PJ drops in for a little bit. Um, and of course, everyone else who decides to come, new new and, and old fans, everybody's welcome here. So, the whole episode for me was like, and this has been more and more my position towards the show of it's not bad. It's relatively enjoyable, but I don't think it's particularly good either. Like, even as like, not having all of like, the lore that they could be just trampling all over, even without having that as a possibility for me, because I don't know, it's it's just relative. it's enjoyable. Like, it's not, like, to give you an, an example, Without saying anything about what we're talking about earlier, I watched both the Obi-Wan and that show last night together. After watching it, today at work, I was like talking to a coworker. I was like, dude, you should definitely watch Obi-Wan. It was, it, was, it was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. I didn't bring up Star Trek at all. Star, it's, it's enjoyable. If someone asked me about it, I'd say, I mean, you'll probably enjoy it. It's not... Like, like that episode, there was definitely some stuff because I, I had to take care of some things. But, like, I missed the people coming back to the ship. And then at one point, I was like, wait, did they ever... When did they return? I was just like, I don't... I was like, did I miss that? Was I not looking? Like, like these these people were, were all in this, like... Like, oh, I, I thought for sure I was going to get this really cool moment on the planet. Because there was all this blood everywhere. And the most you get was a jump scare from a dog, and I was like, "We're gonna, we're gonna give me more." So they're gonna, you, you, there's this cool, like it had the right ambiance. It was a great moment for like this really rough situation, and it just kind of went. Next thing you know, we're just we're look we're talking to the captain on the ship, and all of a sudden to find a ship with people on it. I was like, "Okay." could have had a really cool ambush scene on the planet as well as in space preventing the people from returning to the ship and having them split apart being its own problem as they're trying to deal with these situations and instead we just like you set up this cool moment and just gloss right past it 
it's just it's just over it i was like that was the one moment in the whole episode where i was like all right cool something's about something you got my attention and then just it was just over and i was like i feel like i've been cheated here <laughs> all right all right um john what about you what did you not like about this week's strange new worlds uh, uh, I, I didn't really have a lot of complaints, though. I, I do agree with Brandon. Um, of the two shows uh, I watched for this stream, I kind of ignored everything about Strange New World. I, I was going to go back and rewatch it today just to spin up on it, and instead I just looked up some other people's reviews to remember the pacing and everything. Um, Because I was more focused on Kenobi. Um, okay. All right, well, with that, but, we're going to go ahead and transition well, no, no, to like, our I, Kenobi I discussion. Have, since, uh, <laughs> no, I do, I do have things that, that <laughs> ah, carry on. You can bored me about no, I'm just the... Uh, go continue. <laughs> well, so things that did bored me about the show. Um, it was mostly just the fact that it feels like every episode is the end of the ship a moment. Like, they go from, oh, this is a calm day, to, oh, no, we've come across another life-threatening storm, and the ship will go down if we don't have our witty bridge crew. And it's just kind of starting to get, like, and it's annoying because it's not even, like, the same fight, so you're kind of excited to learn about what's going to happen, but at the same time, you're like, I could use a cooling-off period or a ramp-up period. Like, the ship that they fought to like meet the Gorn was literally like the size of the cruiser or of their uh the little shuttle right and it nearly took them out like just ready to obliterate them and they're like barely surviving all of a sudden so like the chance of them coming into contact with even bigger Gorn ship they're like oh we're done and it, it's like well, weren't you guys done when that other bigger, bigger ship showed up last episode? And weren't you done when that big thunderstorm showed up last last episode? It's just like, oh wait, I got those two back in a circle, the comet versus the uh, the other one. So it's just kind of like obnoxious, you know? Uh, the only time we've seen them be the biggest ship in the room is when they were fine in the first episode. And now suddenly they're just constantly coming up with daunting task after daunting task and that was like the only thing yeah, i would say that's guy, starting to every bad guy's bigger than the enterprise that that's kind of what uh that's what the uh the tng movies suffered from that as well and so does that easily one of the drawbacks of star trek 2009 and into darkness is is the fact that you know it's these bigger imposing ships and it's like okay we already did that with the motion picture we get it. There's some ships that are bigger out there, but I totally hear what you're saying, and I agree. It'd be nice if there was some, you know, where's the, where's, when's the Enterprise gonna get her day of being the imposing force? But uh, with well, that, it's not even just her being the imposing force. It's just she's always at stake. Like everybody on board is going to die this episode. Tune in next week to see how. And that's what's getting a little ah, exhausting. So then you'd, you'd probably really like the TNG episode Data's Day then. I would definitely I've recommend you check that one out. Just rewatched every. Like I just caught up. I think I'm on season two, episode four. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're getting there. All right, and with that, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and transition to Corion's thoughts on what he did not like about Strange New Worlds, episode four. Okay, so we, we've we seen that the, the commander lives in a palatial estate on the ship. 
we we've seen that the second in command has a, a room that you know I'd be jealous of at like as a presidential suite at a hotel in Vegas. And now we've seen Noonien Singh's place, which I mean, as a lieutenant, dude, the room is still impressive. That that's a five star hotel suite, and yet they still have Lahura living in a closet under the stairs. I, I I don't get what's going on here and who assigns the rooms in this ship, and how this ship is laid out. This ship is getting to the point of having TARDIS level you know, bigger on the insideness. Dude, I bet and, you it resembles the modern military quite well. All the uh, enlisted ones are two to a room, and it's a one-person room with a shared bathroom. Okay, but like, even two to a that. room would be... Okay, two to a room would be impressive. We saw three to four to a room with Lahura. Oh no, the the assist... the, uh, the enlisted, not the uh, officer oh, yeah. corps. The officer yeah. court gets those big rooms with full-size bathrooms, spring showers, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think you're up to like be. half okay. the saucer section being occupied by crew quarters at this point, so. Officer, right. everybody else is below decks, remember? Yeah, all the, all the enlisted get the squeezed decks? in next to the, next to the warp core. Uh, squeezed in nothing. They're, they're like, there are Japanese dudes pushing them into the rooms <laughs> at this point. Um, Like... It, and I mean, hell, even the cargo hold looked friggin' ma- cavernous. Like, I-, I half expected the Enterprise is carrying around the Ark of the Covenant in there while we're at it. You know, when when I deployed, I was in a tent. So, like, in the tents that we had. And no, I was in the Air Force, so even then, they weren't the worst on the planet. But, like, even then, we it had we someone would go and hang curtains to kind of make cubicles, if you will. And those cubicles had bunk beds, and if you were lucky, you didn't get a bunk mate. But then when you went in transit, you definitely had a bunk mate. And like the sleeping space was about the same as like what she had going on, because if you watch her get out, there was a spot above her too on the wall. Yeah. Like th- most of those were like it was like it was a thing where it's like if you just took down all the curtains and then closed off the beds, it could have been equivalent to like. If you just put all the beds around the edge of the tent and then just left the center as a commerce space, it would be kind of similar. But then uh, you're right. On the flip side, you go and have these rooms that you could put comfortably several officers in and still have a lot of space. You were muted, John. Like, I'll admit, I'll admit, okay, um, my experience is... I've seen enlisted bunks in the Canadian Armed Forces many, many times. Um, and uh, I dated an Air Force officer, so I've seen what, what they had room for and what their butler had room for. But, you know, that's Air Force. <laughs> um, uh, you know, but at the same time, like, to me, this is just, this seems outrageous, the, the disparity well, here. Um, not, like, we take a look not at what just Kirk the disparity. even Picard had. They're not this big. If you think about it, though, it's like, who has time to spend any time in their room? Like, what's with all this? Like, like, it seems like they do 16-hour days, 8-hour rest cycles, and that's it. Like, they're moving around the ship doing multi-functions or learning new functions. Like, it seems to be like a or continuous rotation characters. of doing somebody else's job, right? And it seems like there would be no actual need for 
any form of communal area. Like rewatching TNG, I'm noticing why there's so much common area, and it's because there's so many common people. Like they're yeah, well, literally they on an on adventure. On the, on yeah, that's what I mean. Like they, they justify the common space by having common people do common things, but on this ship, like everybody has a duty. There is no spare space except for everybody's bedroom. Yeah, right. the, the the only other thing that that kind of I don't know it bugged me was we're mm -hmm. talking about how uh, in this environment shields don't work. Um, we have to shut down all the main power, everything's, and yet you know we're watching the ship slowly you know get crumbled by this environment, and as they're coming out suddenly. They throw on the force fields on every individual biobed. It, it feels like to me maybe they would have to wait until they were clear of something before like every, you know, biobed gets like its own protective shell casing. Like I could totally, well, I, I would have bought. Be, it could be that the biobeds are escape pods. Maybe, but I mean, I would have totally bought. I think it just would have looked better to me if we had seen a whole bunch of doctors and nurses and like, you know, random enlisted dudes quickly running over and just like attaching straps. Mm. Right. Like I, that to I, me just would have been a better choice. It's it, admittedly, it's been a while since I've looked this up, but I mean, what, how many people are even supposed to be on the enterprise? Cause I thought it was only like a hundred uh, and TO the next generation was a thousand or something. Yeah. The TOS, uh, Kirk's original enterprise in star Trek, the original series is, uh, or excuse me, just star Trek, um, is 450. Uh, and that's okay. on a much smaller size ship compared to the enterprise we have in strange new worlds though too. And then, yeah, yeah. the enterprise D is supposed to be a thousand. But, and then, but actually how I, much of that, that is real quick since you brought it up. Or sorry, someone say something. Yeah, I, I yeah. Was I just have quickly. A, oh yeah, you go I was first. Just about to quickly, uh, pack in that oh, on the yeah. four hundred number. They also mentioned in Deep Space Nine when they were seeing the ship, they were like, "Wow, they really packed them in on these old uh, ships." They pack in a lot of luxury condos on the Enterprise. I mean, I think we should do a commercial <laughs> for that about about moving to the Enterprise luxury suites or something. I think I think that'd be funny. Um, I mean, with rent the way it is, people would probably go for it. Yeah, Dude, right. Yeah, if that was what my enlistment ways. had been like, I would have never gotten out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly. That right. was like one of the biggest disparities was the housing situation. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, do I was touch just going to say on the ship. The ship sizes thing, though. I think that the the scaling of the vessels, I think, goes back to uh, what I've already mentioned, and. Uh, Oh, welcome, uh, 96BB fan, who Can't is help. here to hi say to hi to Mr. Chris Karaoke. Um, so the sizing, I think, goes back to what I mentioned about the technological change for the... Whenever sh the shows are updated, they have... They kind of update the technology for the time that we have now. And I think that's kind of what happens with the Enterprise over time. Mm. Like, the 2009 movies... The, the Enterprise is about, you know, is bigger than the Enterprise D by that time. And again, having served on the ship myself, that kind of all actually makes sense that they've scaled the ships up because 
if you think about the implications of traveling deep space, how much of a ship you're actually going to need to bring with you, and the fact that in the 1960s, when the when the first Enterprise hit the airwaves, you know, no one was really had they an idea just... of what space. They, they had the shuttle craft as a. Well, the, or did they? yeah, no. exactly. They had the the, the shuttle craft coming up. I mean, right? In yeah, 69, so they, they knew but that then the they early... also. You also have to remember their like biggest ship. I don't even think they had like giant aircraft carriers yet. Right? They did. They did. Yeah, Cold War era. Okay. They definitely had some so th- some of those Eisenhower class aircraft carriers were definitely out there. But um, the biggest ones are modern. The new nuclear ones and stuff like that are much yeah, bigger yeah. and more powerful. So like these people are scaling that up to space travel and it turns out like Right. In modern case BB it's closer fan, to a yes. cruise ship. We are about to discuss what we do like about this show, so don't worry, it's not all negative Nancy's here. Um, but that said, with the scaling of the ship, it's it's understandable because yes, John, you're right. The ships have also gotten bigger. The aircraft carriers of that time you had were like World War II era, which I don't remember the crew complement off the top of my head. I think it was generally it was around about a thousand. Um, and so as time has gone on, it's like okay, we've realized okay, we probably would have bigger starships by now that could probably hold more people. That would probably so that's why like so that's just another well, point I'm trying to make. But uh, let's as not far forget stuff the that, other thing. Let's not forget the other thing that uh, Into Darkness did kind of wrong is the idea of it being more about a one-man army. Right. Trying to build ships for smaller crews. It's like that defeats the entire purpose of exploration. The more people that get out there and see it, the more people that can sell it to other explorers. Yeah, and that's kind of what was silly about the pilot episode of Strange New Worlds was a ship crewed by three whole people. It's like, that's to go make first contact. Like, that really, come on, that's just lazy. But uh, that one, that one seemed more like those uh, those investigatory ones where they try to meet up with the team that's like already on the ground. Right, their first reconnaissance vessel, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. that's what that that ship. That was the vibe I was getting from it, but yeah. they weren't saying that. Yeah. So as far as stuff I didn't like about this episode, I think you guys kind of touched on a lot of those those areas. I do think that they kind of they did kind of sell the Hura lifting the thing off of Hammer for me because. Uh, you know, she did try it first while standing up, and then she sat down. And so I was like, okay, they're trying to like they're trying to put the illusion out there. It's not like she just walked up and kicked it. <laughs> so, um, which would have been entertaining, but also really terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really. I think a lot of you. I think you guys bring up a lot of good points about some of it, especially you, Devil Cry Three, pointing out the fact that you were more excited for Star Wars than Strange New Worlds. But that said. I do think that episode four is the strongest one so far. I think that it is. It's it. There was a lot of good moments overall that outweigh the uh, you know five thousand square foot apartment building apartments inside the ship. And so um, I really love the relationship that they're building between Hemmer and Ohura. I think that is a fantastic pairing of two characters because it's like. You know, here Ahura has to learn to respect the wisdom, but Hemmer has to be respectful of his of his tutelage and of his of his person, and, and accept the fact that she might actually know a few things more than what he anticipates. Well, um, he's that was actually an interesting beats. thing because hmm? you 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 saw him stutter in his like when she started to express her actual understanding. He was like, finally. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. Like, and, like that's what every teacher in the entire world wants. They want to call you stupid, and you come back at them with your knowledge, and they're like, 
Ah, uh, I, am I don't have to jump now. off at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that dynamic between them is, uh, is just fantastic. Uh, two great characters overall. I, I mean, Mm -hmm. I really hope that we get more to Ahura's backstory than, oh, tragic accident. Like, if they if they make that, like, a conspiracy situation, I think that would boost that whole uh, that whole thing well, with her past. Um, I but, feel like that's contrived, because, like, if you go too much into the individual, like, reasons for joining Starfleet, it makes Starfleet seem way more unique. And the idea of Starfleet is to be, like, it doesn't matter where you came from, so if we keep you know, making it matter where you came from, then suddenly it's like, well, I don't really feel like a hero enough to even join, so I won't join. So yes, there is wisdom in just letting it go altogether, and that, yeah, I can I can definitely see the the point in that. Um, I just like I said, there's there's a lot. I I thought the whole uh, the whole chemistry on the bridge was really strong with the whole situation of turning it into a sub v sub, you know, hunt for Red October situation. Um, I've heard some complaints about the sonar that they created by bouncing off signals through the cloud. Um, that's kind of how radar works, I guess. People don't I, know well, that. I heard I heard a really positive uh, remark on that, and it was okay. um, from uh, Mr. Know-It-All, and he said that the reason that that sensor exists was because it naturally collect or recognizes anything that comes in contact with the ship. So because they're touching the um the space dust the ship needs to know how much is you know doing any kind of damage at all and suddenly it's like oh we can just radar and sonar this yeah. shit yeah so to, because so to, it's something it's already doing right and so to touch on that a little bit um because the way that radar typically works or sonar similarly um is that it's you know radar actually stands for it's a half acronym half short name radio radio detection and ranging it just sends out a radio signal and then if it touches something that's that signal return is what you get so it is entirely possible to have a radar system that can navigate through clouds and, and distinguish between the different particulates and so it's not entirely well, it's not that's entirely exactly out of what the realm speed guns that police officers use to get your car they shoot out a wide frequency beam to pick up your metal at the rate of speed it's going so it's literally just shooting light out and then getting what it gets back at the thing like at the speed that it gets it back and then it you know does the math calculation the that's the ship light. is way more advanced than that you know it's it can pick up all the signals well yeah and it can the, also the enterprise has sensors that, that can pick up ships traveling faster than the speed of light so i mean it's really not that hard to buy that they i mean at least they I actually like that they took the time to actually try and explain a system that they work together so over but but so yes, overall, I liked it. I think it's good. I think we, we're still heading the right direction. But yes, it's. I, I think sadly, Brandon, you're right. It's not. It's not in the territory of. Am I in love with it? I'm in love with the theme song. I still enjoy watching Hanson <laughs> Mount. Um, I think Lieutenant Hammer is reason enough to show up every week. And with that, Corion, I'm gonna switch it back to you. I think we're just gonna go backwards this time. Cool. We're gonna go so, clockwise. So being a. Um somebody who studied physics in school yo they covered redshift that's awesome and they actually did not do a terrible job of it they actually explained it reasonably well and why it's a thing and why they could use it in this situation so I loved that I loved that Hammer had to do something he wasn't accustomed to which was rely on others um 
I love that they explained why he can be, you know, what his moral behavior for it is because we had previously heard that all the Einar are pacifists. And he explains, look, I won't take up arms in anger, but I will certainly defend the people I care about and defend the ideals that I care about. And that's completely reasonable. And I thought that was a really great way to um, set up a moral uh, grounding that we can have the character work under. Um, I love that they did them, that they quickly made it clear. Welcome, Orville oh. Nation. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love that they did the Better be logic of, week, look, PJ. the ship lower down, you know, the lower decks are going to be affected by the gravity first. So we should probably evacuate as much as we can of that now so we don't have the problem later. I love that too. Um, you know, they they did some stuff really well. Um, I loved that we actually, from the Noonien Singh character, that actress was able to portray sheer abject terror really, really well. Like there was some solid acting out of her. Um, and yeah, and she did she, it with bearing. Like, yes. she had a very military bearing to the terror. Like, you knew she was afraid, but you also knew she was trying to hide it. Exactly. That, I loved. They they did it right. That actress, I mean, yes, she's been playing it stiff so far, but we're starting to see through some of the cracks. We're starting to see some characterization from her as well. And that's wonderful. We are getting to the point in the series where they're actually allowing the actors and actresses to uh, play with their character a little bit. And they don't feel as stiff. They feel a little... You can see them relaxing into the roles a little bit. And that's a very good thing. And that's a very good sign for the series long term that they're going to be comfortable with these characters. Yeah, and I'm sorry to take it back real quick. Um... That is another good point. I forgot. Totally forgot. But thank you for bringing it back up. They, to their credit, the the, the uh, writers managed to hype up the Gorn pretty good in this episode. Even though it's an enemy that I'm familiar with, I kind of, not not that it was to the level of TNG's hype with the best of both worlds, but they were definitely channeling those, those vibes and that energy. And it felt like, I was like, shit. Gorn are actually a decent threat in this show, apparently. And and it was very convincing. And you're right. She sold it. She was the one that put on the fear and was like, Oh man, this is this is a big deal. Okay, so that's that's and it and then there's the con there's the conflict that people say about, oh well the Gorn, it's different, it's a misunderstanding when we see them in TOS. Okay, we're not at TOS yet. This is the early stage. This is like it was with the Romulans up until after Balance of Terror. This is an unknown enemy that that is behaving the way that it's going to behave. And how how it might be perceived is going to change over time. And that relationship changes with the Federation and the Gorn over time. But at first, it's, you know, it's like when you move in with new neighbors and you don't want to see them, but you guys start giving I... each other grief and doing passive-aggressive nonsense and so that's I'd kind of what it is argue, on a bigger scale. But go ahead. I'd actually argue that they're doing this right because, and I, I've got precedent to back this up, just with Inside Next Generation. Because within Next Generation, it was made very clear that this was the first time they were formally introduced to the Ferengi. But Picard battled them in the Stargazer 
before Enter before the next gen series at the Battle of Maxia. So we know that informal pitch battles and what have you do not count towards the formal first contact scenario. So that is entirely why the Gorn could be, exist as this cosmic boogeyman up until this point. So the, the guys who have been arguing, well, you know, this isn't canonical. Actually, we have canonical reasons to believe that this is how it could go down. Well, and yeah, not to like mention if we... Based oh, sorry, Chris, of, it sounded like you have a thought. Well, I was just going to say, to the episode's credit, they didn't go overboard and, and have the Gorn like board the ship. They didn't go hand-to-hand combat and show us everything about them. They kept them a mystery as, you know, Yep. As an as an unknown entity, just like Enterprise did with the Romulans. Sorry, John. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I, I think that that adds more credit to Noonan Singh's character because she she spends a lot of time in the first few episodes being this very security, shoulders rolled back. I have no joke. Like she really reminds me a lot of Worf's character in TNG and she's not a Klingon right and that's kind of like very militaristic especially like when you become the MP the military police you're the one that's in charge of all things policing and so now seeing her be afraid really makes these characters seem much more you know scary but then on top of that it also lays credence to everything she says next when she explains that like they never leave prisoners they the only reason she survived is because she didn't accept death. Like, that's a pretty dark thing to be rewarded for, right? Like, or she accepted death or something. She didn't fear death. She said, take me out or don't, but that's it. She, yeah, she um, just assumed she was dead. Right, and so, and then as soon as, like, you know, they do the light signaling and they go, look, this ship was overtaken by the Gorn, they're like, oh, wait, what? And then they blow it up, like, death to the weak. Um, what that tells us is that like the enterprise that we're watching may actually be the first or one of the very few federation vessels to a meet the gorn and b survive the gorn so like the reason why nobody's ever really heard about them is it's the same reason that like the united states has never recognized a submarine going missing they all just say still in action um and and that's the like the reality is like we have no idea which ships are gonna come back we just keep getting the like the commander's logs as they come and then they stop coming and you know maybe the commander quit maybe everybody was like you know we're done we found perfect eden new world we're out of starfleet screw it could have we don't know we can't like they can't they can't say that didn't happen it's just as likely as they were taken out by the gorn so, Brandon, anything positive to say about episode so, four? I mean, the irony being, like, one of my big complaints is also, like, a mo- one of my positive things of, like, where a, a, a big failure for me was this this moment in the beginning where it's this, this really good buildup. Like, to me, the, up until, like, the, the what I want to call failure of execution, when they're in this dark outside of the fact that the two lights on their suits bothered the shit out of me i forgot about that till just now it bothered me so much i was like that is that doesn't make sense you think there's a threat now and you have two bright lights on your chest like you've created a target 
But, like, outside of that, like, the whole moment of, like, they're moving up. There's, they're seeing bloodstains because people were very clearly killed. They get to this point where there's this giant spot and drag marks everywhere. And I'm like, this, you're, you're setting the tone nicely. And to be fair, they, they, they do then set the tone f for Gorn. And then she, she then later says, like, they don't leave. They don't leave, you know, people, they don't take prisoners and stuff. But, like, that moment was, I, I was really into it. I was like, I, you, I'm, I'm digging this. And then, and then, you know, he gets scared by the dog. And, like, it was, it was, like, that lead-up moment of, like, you, if they were to do something like that again, but, you know, have something on the other end of it, that could be, re they, they, sh they've already shown me that they can set the tone and the, the, the moment of, like, something is coming and something is bad. And it's gonna wreck people like this is gonna get wild and hairy and like i was I, especially because just like john was saying like i once while listening to people to try and run dungeons and dragons I, one of the things i remember specifically and i didn't even think about this till john said it was when you create and you're trying to do this long-term game you can only have a couple world-changing events if you have too many, they they lose. They're not potent anymore. You you create turbulence for your party, and you put them in dangerous situations, and you can have events. But world-altering ones should be few and should have a impact. In this case, the ship is our world because we're going to worlds. So it, like the irony being, for us, our world is the ship. Actual worlds are lesser. So, like, if you then go put the party, like, the most vulnerable position is to have these humans and other aliens on a planet and then, you know, cause something to happen where they can't go back and forth, but bad stuff is happening. Like, that is a good moment. But instead, we keep having this, like, oh, the ship's going to destroy again. So, like, within that, though, like you guys were saying, this moment between, uh, I always forget names, Hammer and the linguist chick because it's the only thing i can remember her as because i'm terrible with names um like outside of the fact that they're pairing initially like just in the world of like why have you two been paired together outside of you know character personalities like taking the writer of being like oh these characters could be a nice mesh like just role wise when I first saw them together, I was like, why why have you been paired? But, I mean, I agree with you guys in the sense of, like, they, they are a nice pairing. So I get that. Though, like, the initial pairing of, like, why is they linguist now with the engineer? How does this work? Why, like, like, how did we end up here in the first place? This is where I'm confused. But there was that moment where, like, she, it was a good moment where, once again, she was, like, yeah, I know this information. Like, I, I can know these facts. Facts are great. You now want me to do it, and if I mess up, we're dead. <laughs> like, we're just, we're done. Like, no, this is terrible. And he's like, and he has that moment of, like, you can do it. Like, you know this. You you know the info. You know what to do. Do it. Yeah, it's that moment of, like, realizing that she's been taught to do work, but never actually given the chance to do the work. Yeah, and it's like... 
and it's that 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 moment that she once again has needed like she kind of had with spock but it was different like once again it's a life-threatening situation but like she's she's now had like kind of similar in this case it's the student teacher role and in spock's case it was just the like look if you don't do this we're dead anyways so like either do it if you don't do it we die if you fail we die so do it well, and, and like what i think that really that really gives credence to her character especially because she actually does portray the cadet very mm-hmm. well yes the new I... ensign like she's just now running through the ranks mm-hmm. just now gathering experience but then if we remember her to shatner's years where she is literally just the sauce queen she knows who she is she knows what she's supposed to do she never betrays the ship no matter what like if when captain Picard, or captain kirk is like hey everybody evacuate ship but me she's like i'm there with you like you can't believe that that's who she becomes until you see her literally have to experience hell on earth several hundred times to the point where she just goes oh yeah just another tuesday and that's the thing too where it's like uh initially some of the ways her 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 character's personality in like things she says and does i was like "Mm, you're landed on thick but they're 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 the, the at least the actress has done a really good job of like in these moments of like selling like look i can know things all day but doing a thing and knowing a thing aren't the same and you're now wanting me to do it but also i'm not just doing it i'm doing it and everyone's at stake like this is this is not this is not normal like this is a, this is crazy and he's like well you know what to do so do it because if you don't do it (laughs) well and that's the best part is he left out that because if you don't like Mm -hmm. he was smart enough to tell her yes you know what you're doing just do it Mm -hmm. because like she was taking on the onus of all of that fear and he was like you got to drop it all you just got to pretend like none of that matters and all that matters is you're doing your job and you'll do it by the numbers also that moment where they're talking about where she's like how uh, specifically talking about his race, which I also forget, but that comes back to just not remembering names, because God, I'm terrible at that. But uh, she talks about like how can you guys like how can you just do this, and he explains to her like how his people deal with death, and it's just like you're here to do something, and you don't die until it's done. And then <laughs> she's like, so what? Like I'm here to fix things. Is so like it's that moment of like it's given her a new thing to try and like self, uh, self-impose and self-interpolate for that character she becomes, because if she becomes to understand like what her role is for the people on this ship, she can become a very strong character for everyone around because she she has this understanding of like this is who I am and this is this is what I have to do. Like, all right, Chris. Why don't you go ahead and give your good, good thoughts, Brandon? By the way, sorry to took quick you. jump, but I'm gonna go ahead and let's uh, no, give good. Chris real quick, and then if there's any quick final thoughts, I want to give uh, extra time to Kenobi. Um, not just because you guys seem more excited about it, but there are two episodes <laughs> that we have to pack in, so uh, we'll try and get that get through all that. Well, you did you did kind of hit the mark there. I mean, and we started on that. Uh, admittedly. I mean, I, I liked this episode more than, than the first three, right? I mean, when I when I watch a show, you know, maybe I'll watch all the episodes, you know, uh, 
But if I'm going to rewatch a show, I'll usually say, okay, I know it has 100 episodes. Let me just slice this thing down to 30 or 40 or 50 or something like that and choose them. Maybe I got to watch the pilot because it's the pilot and it's like, you know, okay, in my head, I might as well, you know, you know, it's obligatory. The second and third episodes, honestly, just they kind of bored me a little bit. <laughs> this episode, I don't know if I would watch it on a rewatch, but I wasn't bored. I was in, I was entertained. I wasn't really thinking about, oh, you know, it's Spock and, you know, um, I, I just had a, by and large, I just, I, I enjoyed the the quick snappy movement of the episode it didn't linger too much in in dead space you know um but yeah i'm more excited about about kenobi and i watched kenobi right after i watched this episode and i kind of you know my 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 thoughts on this episode kind of just quickly faded off oh kenobi you know so but I, but I'm encouraged. I mean that that's 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 the positive thing. I'm I'm encouraged. I'm willing to to watch the rest of the season, and, and I want it to be awesome and and challenge me to forget about my preconceptions. Because if it's just okay, you know, it's gonna fade. Yeah, and, and yeah, see... it's definitely a show I'm happy to come back to. Yeah, yeah, same same here. Um... Yeah, so uh, just really quick to add what onto what uh devil cry was saying about uh lahura's character there um when we were studying in school getting ready for some of the stuff we would deal with uh one of the speeches that i got which you know i think really applies to her is like there's gonna be a day when you're working and everything is gonna go absolutely to hell and you're gonna say like yeah i studied this in school but i've never actually had to do any of it and then you have a choice because you can either just like throw your hands up and like put in your letter of resignation and walk away or you can just begin you can start doing the math you can solve one problem and then solve the next problem and then solve the last problem and if you keep solving problems eventually you get to go home with a paycheck and that was kind of the the speech I got in school and I feel like yeah you know somebody really you know She's getting that from the crew, from each of the crew members she's been, uh, you know, uh, interacting with one by one here uh, as she's been going. And I think that's kind of a good thing, really. No, yeah, I think it's it's an absolutely awesome thing. My only issue is that it keeps being the worst case scenario. Like Brandon said, like, like, I feel like we all kind of agree. It's like you got to have a few breaks. I, I, I have been rewatching TNG and I absolutely love the fact that some of the episodes are equally dramatic but with like 1% of the stakes and I'm like I, I don't get how you can do it well but you do <laughs> I, and, I, and I don't know how many people would agree with me on this but I actually enjoyed the third season of Enterprise and the end of season 2 Same. Uh, because yeah. because of the way it built up and it wasn't always giant stakes it started you know with, with that great episode where archer is is on trial and then and then you just start to experience what you know what that new uh, part of space is in in the in, you know in the species in it and it built up to that final uh you know make or break live or life or death you know ship is on the line in the finale of season three you know the payoff pitch so uh, yeah i agree i'd like to see that it reminds me a lot of the Orville in terms of like 
like a TNG especially seems like one of the main source materials for Orville. And that's kind of something I do want to see brought back is like the thing about the stakes is like they always try to make them equally balanced. Like the ship is as much in danger as the individuals on the ground. The individuals on the ground are as in much danger. And it's like when you watch the Orville or when you watch old Star Trek, it's like there's a lot of episodes where like the people on the ship are bored out of their mind and they're doing the most obscene things like there's multiple Sherlock Holmes episodes there's multiple things about different interests of each character and they're completely personal it, it's like you get to learn the fun side of somebody without constantly hearing that they're a fun person from every other character instead you're like oh hey since we're here for two weeks and we got nothing else to do do you want to spend Saturday in the holodeck doing a thing but like when you're constantly like red alert everybody to their battle stations it's like even the people at the lower decks are like battle stations you know and nobody ever has a personal experience that's individual and it kind of it chokes out the fire yeah like i i I, I gotta see an episode of like uh nunian singh and uh orteas or ortegas they're uh playing like dodgeball professionally in like a house league on the ship or something Oh, yeah, yeah, I I can definitely see a fun rivalry with those two. But with that, I think we've pretty much covered all of our discussion for Strange New Worlds. I am looking forward to the rest of this series. I think we're we're almost halfway through the first season. And, you know, we got to remember TNG season one was uh, it is what it is. And even season two. I love it. Same with Deep Space Nine, Voyager. It, I've been like well. thoroughly enjoying TNG. Oh, it's, you it, it's aged one well. Again, it's you gotta realize the, the expectation was. for Star Trek in our generation, John, is like down into the shitter. The expectation no, for but, Star Trek back then was like up to the moon. So. I, well, I, I think that's part of the like benefit of rewatching it, especially for all these people yeah. that, you know that are starting to create it and take it over. Like yeah. you guys too should rewatch it because it's actually really fun. And it turns out that, like, yeah, their tech was a little, well, and we you know, may, it's wonky. We may organize some but. kind of rewatch where we do, like, uh, either a handful of episodes or we decide, like, which the best ones are that we want to talk about and go through. And, and that might be something we do later this year, honestly, because that would be a good good deal to promote good Trek. We can do a Speaking of promotions, well. however, we do need to take a quick little ad break to promote our sponsor, which today, this broadcast, because they are paying me to work there and keeping the lights on for the Ryder Brothers, today our sponsor is CNC Sutlery. They uh, specialize in providing all of your Civil War reenactment needs, from uniforms to props to everything that's pretty much an authentic replica of the time period. Now you might be asking yourself, why are these idiots promoting a Civil War reenactment show? Because I work there, right? These guys, as it turns out, have also provided the costumes for other Paramount shows, including Yellowstone and 1883. So this is actually a huge deal for us. Um, Other potential connections we can form over time and other opportunities are definitely uh, available potentially through this. And I hope that, that, that we do get some through that. But at the same time, these people are really good at what they do. I'm very excited even just after one day of working there. I'm actually kind of looking forward to going to work tomorrow. Not like, woo, work, but like, actually kind of, yeah, woo, work. Um, so yes, please uh, check them out at, c- at ccsutlery.com. 
they are mostly an internet uh, shipper, and they also uh, ship internationally. So to our Canadian friends up north, if you guys need some, some Civil War gear that you might want, uh, they, they can definitely ship it. And also, if you live in Australia, the United Kingdom, wherever you are watching this broadcast, these guys are uh, probably going to be able to ship to you, most likely. Um, and so, yeah, please check them out if you have time. And uh, like I said, they provide props for shows and movies and are trying to get more shows and movie deals. And so, well, we're in the show and movie business. So, as Orville so Nation likes to say, we grow together. So, so what you're saying is like, subscribe, and buy merch from our sponsors? Yes. And we also are planning on getting a merchandise store, store for TWB in the very near future. Got some handcrafts from uh, uh, from uh, from the wife. And, of course, uh, we may put some other stuff together that you guys can contribute. We'll figure it out. But for now, please check out ccsutlery.com. They even have a list on there of all the movies and shows and theater productions that they've provided costumes for. And so if you know somebody in the business who is looking for a costume or you yourself are looking for one, they got quite a selection. I walked through some of our inventory today. It's like walking through a museum. It's amazing. All right. That's enough ads for one broadcast. Kenobi has hit Disney Plus with both episodes one and two. And uh, some people are saying that Netflix's Stranger Things is doing better, which is cool. Good for them. But we're here to discuss Kenobi, starting with, of course, what we did not like. And Chris, uh, why don't you go ahead and start us out once again? We'll do a do a Chris double feature this show with what we did not like. It it's actually a tough question to answer because we're two episodes in, and a lot of what troubled me about the first two episodes was just that I'm worried. I'm worried about whether I'm, you know, where Star Wars is going overall. So I, I, because there's been a lot of things I haven't liked, let's say in the last uh, ten years. Uh, so I, I saw so I'm, I'm kind of stepping into the show with that that trepidation. Like, okay, um, I'm, I'm gaffing on, on names um, because. <laughs> Had a long week. Everyone does it, but but um, you know, not not to. Uh, I don't know how much we should go into spoilers here. Oh, it's it's all the way. So so the 100%. thing is with us, it it's going to depend on the subject matter. With today. shows like this that are weekly, um, even if we spoil it, it gives people time to catch up. And being giving spoilers, um, really, what we do in the service we provide on uh, with our reviews is that people who are skeptical but don't want to make the time to watch the first couple episodes we can give them an overview even with spoilers and that might convince them oh you know what i'm going to give this thing a try and since we do like to promote products that we like which speaking for myself of course i do like kenobi so far but i agree there is some cautious optimism to be had there so go and uh, all spoilers when shows are running are on the table because we're uh, not going to be able to spoil anything for the next few episodes unless somebody has, you know, leaks or stuff. Which, if you do, keep it to yourself. Please. Because I think there's there's more I liked about it than I didn't. That's why it's a little hard for me to leave with what I didn't. But I will say, hey. and this this is this will probably get into a more of a conversation if, if you all want to have it. Because it's the one that, that, uh, that spent the most time in my head. Is at the end of episode two. Where Reva 
sticks the lightsaber through uh, through the Grand Inquisitor, and I just kind of, you know, give me a lot to think about because I've watched I've watched Rebels three times through, and and the Grand Inquisitor is very much alive in Rebels, and I'm sure that that as a show that that is being watched, I mean, obviously they got a young Leia in their show. They are you know they intend for a younger audience as well as an older audience to watch it. There's a lot of Rebels fans who are watching this show are probably thinking the same thing in that moment. It's like, what is even... Like, you know, and, and then, it, you know, the, the logical brain in me was like, okay, okay. So he's not he's not dead. It's just, you know, he's going to be back alive in Episode 3, and now he's going to hunt Reva, and and she's going to get pushed to the light side because now she's getting hunted. And I thought about, how, how am I going to feel about that being in the way the plot works out will i be satisfied by that being the plot arc and honestly i don't know i i actually really liked the grand inquisitor the, the actor playing him and i would and part of me i was thinking to myself i'd just be really satisfied if he was the main villain of this show um and i don't i don't hate reva but i'm not really like you know I don't know if I want to spend the six episodes watching Return to the Light Side. And maybe that won't happen. But but it gave me a lot to think about. And are they changing the canon? What does it mean? It, it's, it's completely, you know, what if the Grand Inquisitor is dead? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, and I'm and, not so sure. We'll see what, uh, we'll see what tomorrow's episode brings. Um, but I'm not so sure that he is dead because... You know, a stab wound in Star Wars doesn't necessarily always mean death. We, we've seen people come back from worse. We've also seen people die from less. So death just seems to be an abstract in the Star Wars universe. But, uh, John, why don't you go ahead with your negative thoughts or just uh, overall negative opinion towards Kenobi? What did you not like? And, guys, we don't have to stretch these segments out to any particular time. If the not What we did not like sums up to uh, the camera angles in frame 5,225 were terrible, fine. If that's all we have for negative discussion, great. That's not a bad thing. But we are here to give honest and fair takes. And so, yes, if there is, even if just one of you, and especially even in the chat, it just has some bad things you want to say about it, fine. Go ahead. But you don't, don't feel like you have to. If you don't, like, it's like when we did the book last week. I had to set it to general discussion because there was nothing about Forever War that I hated. So, uh, but go with that. John, what did you not like about Kenobi? Or what do you feel kind of eh about? So... Uh, the the biggest thing I feel uh, more and more nervous about is the future, um, because like the first episode is it's phenomenal. Um, it tracks to me in all the ways that it should. Um, obviously, the pacing was a little slow, but I feel like it was a pretty dense introduction. Um, but then the just a lot of people's commentary and a lot of people that seem like really into the lore and really into like the understanding of what either should or shouldn't happen and like what is happening based off of what they understand and what they've read a lot of people make it seem like it's going to be this you know push for Reba to become light side and my only hope in that instance is that Reba's been faking it the whole time like the reason she's so dark is because she has to act super dark. Like we have yet to actually see her kill anybody except for put the blade through the Inquisitor. And so maybe the main reason she's hunting Obi-Wan is because 
she knows him. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know that there was this book uh, that was about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn's experience before uh, Naboo, before their first mission on Naboo. And in that experience, uh, Obi-Wan helps out a another Force-sensitive kid um, and Qui-Gon Jinn take him and Obi-Wan back to the Academy and then, then they're like re-sent out on their next mission. Um, but the force sensitive kid that they helped always wanted to go home and help her people. And so I get the vibe that like the gutter trash moment actually has a lot to do with that story is that she may be the force sensitive kid that Obi-Wan helped out and that she is now old enough to catch up. She's a little young, uh, comparatively, obviously. Um, but that's the kind of like vibe I'm getting from her. But again, did like as far as things I did. Did this force sensitive kid did they return her back to her family? No, so the reason that the whole okay, book so read still, a lot. She like, still could be that little girl at the opening scene then, that that the youngling yeah. that yeah, okay. Right. No, so that's what happens. They take her it's like a very much like an Anakin situation, but this time she actually is young enough. But she's not even the main character that gets held. I wanna say she's the younger sister of the main character that Obi Wan spends all his time with um but the big thing is that like the gutter trash stuff is like really canonical to that story in the sense that like they literally lived in a world where like the dystopia was the poor lived in the gutter and cleaned the gutter for the rich um and so that like comment kind of gave me those vibes but the real thing that i'm getting from her is that she is a pitch perfect sith um she knows that vader is the ultimate sith uh everybody that i've heard a lot about um actually i'll just wait for when we get to the uh the next part before i go into all that stuff yeah was there anything though that you want to just touch on that you didn't like or are you satisfied yeah as far as as far as things i didn't like um i didn't like that obi-wan wasn't uh he didn't like leave any backup for luke he just trusted that Owen was good enough. Um, I felt like that seemed a little negligent uh, and out of character for him. But other than that, like, yeah, there's a lot I did like. Okay. Yeah, and, and like I said, if there's only one or two things, or if you guys don't want to speak on anything you don't like on any anything we discuss, that is perfectly acceptable. Oh. This is just a formula Actually, one, we're doing to, to, to get the negative stuff other... out first if there's any, and then, and then we come back and see, all right, what do we like? One thing I didn't, didn't like is the lack of emotional connection to the situation at hand from princess leia during the time when blaster fire is going on she's running like she's afraid but she's also running very much like she knows what she's doing and that seemed a little fake for somebody's first time in this reckless of a city All right, Brandon, anything you did not like about Kenobi? I mean, I know you seem excited. I'm just wondering if there's anything at all that, that stands out. There there was, but be, uh, and I'm, I'll, I'll try to say it in a way that works, but, like, my brain's very much like a – it bounces a lot when I have thoughts. So, like, a lot of the things – like, it kind of refers to conversation we had a little bit ago uh, – earlier before about uh, – someone we watched me and john specifically watched and like things that they would say that like it's like 
There are things I disliked, but then there was things in relation to those things I, I liked, or at least I could give a certain level of, like, leeway of, like, whatever. Though I have had one question ever since I heard, and Chris mentioned it. I was curious where the Rebel series falls in line with this show. Before or after. Yes. During, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's during. That's why yep. I said yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Because I, I was curious about that because I've never properly watched Rebels. I just know, like, a bunch of story beats from it. So I never actually knew what time frame it, it drops into. So that's interesting, to t say the least. Um, I do have thoughts I'll mention maybe when we talk about the good stuff that I think in relation... Possibilities in relations to her as well as Grand Inquisitor and where that could be going, because I have thoughts for that that's not necessarily bad or good. Um, let me get my brain here. So, like, a lot of the the first episode I didn't have too many issues with. I actually really liked uh, some of the things, uh, uh, especially with, like, kind of how they were portraying, uh, portraying Obi-Wan as trying very made it very clear he's tr he's actively trying to blend in and with his previous experiences he unlike some jedi i i to me out of a lot of the jedi especially from you know the 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 prequels if you will because the, you know in timeline it would make sense to me that out of a lot of the ones we saw obi-wan would be one that has the potential to ignore things with with the understanding of like if i don't ignore it that will lead to more death and problems versus if i just keep my mouth shut right now and move forward sometimes you have to because he, he there was times where he did things that was a little toe in the line with the uh with, with what he technically should have been doing which i think has to do with the qui-gon influence uh, so, like, there's a lot of things in the first episode I kind of liked. It was slow, but I didn't dislike that. Because, like John said, that there's a lot. It's slow, but there's a lot that kind of is being told in that. And that they convey across the episode. So, like, I, I can kind of work with... Uh, especially in, like, the first couple episodes. Like, a first slow... I always treat pilots as their own kind of thing because they're a pilot episode there's you have to convey a lot of information yeah um, and i'll just i'll just add on to what you're saying there real quick i don't i don't really it's a hard line for me to cross at times when it comes to pacing because mm -hmm. people have gotten used to fast-paced bullshit and yeah. there's a time and a place for that like an avengers movie and then there's a time and a place for the slow burn. And, you know, it, it's... I'm going to give credit to a product that I don't like, which is the first season of Picard. I actually liked the slow burn with the first, you know, three episodes to just kind of set everything and get the mood going. I think that there is a time... And Star Trek The Motion Picture, same thing. It's slow movie, not super exciting in the grand scheme, but I think it's one of the best movies. Not just best Star Trek, but one of the best sci-fi films of all time. And so... There is a logic to having a slower pace in, in the process. And so, yes, I agree with you. It's not, no, it's not super exciting, but you know what? 
there's plenty of other Star Wars products for super exciting. Not every Star Wars story needs to be, well, Star Wars. We can well, have... The, not to mention the start of the story isn't exciting. Like, they even tried to it's add in a little depressing. sprinkle of excitement. Right? I, I, I am yeah. really disappointed that, like, they shit on pretty much every person's favorite meme, which is Anakin just ganking the younglings. <laughs> but I think at the same That's time... That's a retcon like, I welcome. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, where? why would you ruin that in the first scene of Kenobi? That was yeah. Anakin's truest form as Darth Vader. Yeah. But so, at the same time, anyway. like, it, it was slow, but it was absolutely necessary because it was supposed to be a slow start yeah so brandon any I other mean, negative thoughts before we uh before we skip over Curry uh yeah i thought for sure he was about to get ambushed when he ran into the i don't know if i can call him a jedi or not the possibly grown-up padawan slash jedi dude that you you really don't know anything other than he's supposed to be some form of jedi uh, I thought for sure that when he interacted with him in the middle of the night in the desert that that was supposed to be a trap and that they were about to get jumped. Um, maybe that says something about me, two two shows in a row, or maybe that was residual feelings from the... Because I watched that directly following Star Trek, so maybe that was just still my scope of mind. I don't know. But, like, it was super dark. There was a bunch of movement. I was like, are they... Are they about to? Is he about to get jumped by someone? Like what was going? And then that guy showed up, and I was like, "Oh, this is, this is a trap. This is a trap all day." And it wasn't. It was just a genuine moment of like, "I need your help," and he's like, "You need to go bury your head in the sand and hide." Uh, but that was that was kind of it. Like the first episode, I I didn't have anything I particularly disliked. I really liked the first episode. Like, even if it potentially uh do, does some weird things with canon, like I individually by itself I, I did like it uh most things that could be disliked would have been in the second episode definitely a few things that were a little bit of like gimmies um i like i i even though a lot of people disliked it i liked that or no that's a like thing i, I shouldn't go down that road uh my brain sucks sometimes like, he gets given the drugs by the girl on the street where I can definitely have no issue with a random chick offering to do drugs because I've been to Vegas before. That is a real thing. Uh, commenting on something from the video me and John watched where someone made a comment like, that doesn't happen. Like, yes, it does. In the right places, people just be up, come up to you and be like, do you got some crack? Like, like that's a real thing. I I've been approached multiple times on the same walk to my think... car in San Francisco. <laughs> it it happens. Yeah. Hey guys, like, everywhere. Hey, hey guys, the girl that, by the way, that actress, who was the was... The, the dust dealer, mm -hmm. um, is a major think. deep cameo. Yeah. Yeah, it's Ewan McGregor's daughter. Yeah, yeah. which is super and, cool. And um, super I will just messed up because she said my dad left me here. <laughs> It's also Alec Guinness's, uh, like, uh, something like uh, niece or something like that. Like, she's got, like, three wow. levels of connection to Star Wars. That's pretty wild. Uh, I will say so uh, the little boy who overhears him, 
That's a little, like, it's a thing of, like, well, considering he's probably in the shady area, considering he was approached by someone just trying to sell him dust, uh, and the business that the kid's in with, the uh, you know, the fake Jedi, like, that makes sense to a degree, but also it's, you know, weirdly perfect placing, but that happens in movies a lot, so, like, I can't, I can't say too much against it. The thing I've heard about a lot is, like, people are like, well, he's pretending to be a Jedi, so, like, isn't he going to get caught, right? But, like, I bet you he's been caught a hundred times, and they just go, oh, he's faking it. Give us half your, or all your profits this time. And then he goes back to doing it again tomorrow. Like, the Sith aren't going to, you know, narc on anybody doing the wrong thing, as long as they're not actually Force-sensitive. So, like... They, I feel they have like a that, very like I feel like this has been a run. Yeah, and not to mention he's like he's working with the gate guards. Like he's like, hey, look, we're gonna charge these people everything, and get them out of here. Yeah, it's it's and you're like, gonna get some of it. And he's like, yeah, otherwise they get base pay. Yeah, you know? like the the fake Jedi. I took the least amount of. Uh, I shouldn't say the least. I didn't take too many issue with it. I thought it was amusing. At first, I was like, is this dude really supposed to be a Jedi? Like, are you trying to convince me that this is a real Jedi? Because if you do, I hate you. And I'm going to hate you yeah. for doing this. And then it very quickly becomes clear, like, oh, no, dude, this guy's running a Ponzi scam. Oh, no, I now like this character because this is a thing I could... Re In these times, this is a thing I see happening. This is something I get. Like, yeah, you got me now. It felt 100% real, and it also oh, yeah. felt exactly like what the actor who played him mm -hmm. would actually do in yeah. that world in that yeah. instance i was actually hoping that he was a jedi honestly because, oh no i oh. <laughs> because no it i would have been upset <laughs> because it's the dark time yeah but anyway we'll get into that in a second corion why don't you go ahead and, and share what you did not like unless brandon there's anything else you wanted to add on real quick otherwise i think i think most people are excited nah. to get to the to the follow-up yeah i'm too here. flippant <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, there, I only really had two issues, and both of them, you know, to be perfectly honest, are kind of, they're, they're nitpicky, and, um, you know, I think they're going to be fixed long term. Uh, the first one is the abduction of Leia. It, it happens, it's like the slowest chase scene ever, and that's saying something considering Book of Boba Fett, because, like, she's jogging away like a little kid who's being chased by her dad like you know like oh catch me catch me right um and the the weirdest part was these these guys are kind of playing along with it like they're not the... running at like a real adult pace well no the see i branch. got something to that like one of the biggest things it did do a pretty good like fix of itself like if you actually look at where they're running into when it would zoom out to their backs it's like oh she's dodging into these really tiny nooks and crannies and but what they're doing is the exact thing you do when you're trying to wrangle a hog corner it yeah and that's what they end up doing like perfectly because like when you're wrangling something in the woods it can go left right or backwards forever and obviously like there was a display of her understanding of the woods. they're like yeah she always I runs mean, there i mean to be so she has knowledge honest, yeah to be perfectly honest they could have saved that scene entirely by putting yeah. in a throwaway line of like, we have to watch how quickly we move through here or it sets off alarms, right? That could have fixed the whole thing for me right then and there. Okay. I, I will agree with you. When, when, when she's dodging through, there's a moment that I think it's the female captor 
is running behind her and Leia ducks below this like chest level branch and the girl comes around the corner and it's not like she turns into the branch she turns then continues to run forward and instead of ducking below this branch just continues to run I'm like you had so much time that Listen, branch that, started no, off she, like seven feet away from you <laughs> well no see she didn't like fall over on the branch that she slapped it like she was very intentionally wrangling the hog like running up on it so it didn't go left it didn't go right it kept going forward and then yeah. she slaps it, runs around, and then corners her on the left. Like, there was a very clear... Well, like I said, it, it, it's, nitpicky. it's nitpicky. I'm not saying that it's it's something that couldn't be overlooked, but it was there. The only it, it, other... was, it was believable when she got into the obstacles. Like, once a kid has, like, trees and stuff to dodge, that's when I was like, okay, this is what you should have opened with and left it yeah. at. <laughs> Otherwise, I agree with mm -hmm. you, Corion. But what's the last yeah. one? The, the last one is our... our third sister inquisitor here um look if i'm gonna cast a sith character that i want everyone to understand is either a sith or a what i'm gonna use as the term sith alike um i want somebody who is going to put some take out some salt take out some pepper and just make a meal of the scenery i want them like over the top mustache twirling nonsense I want it to sound like a Shakespearean level villain I'm dealing with here. And I really didn't get that from the character. Now, that I'm now I want to make it clear. I'm not sure where the problem is there because that could have very easily been a direction choice. That could have been the actor's choice or it could have been some sort of weird combination of just the way that they had to edit things together. I'm not 100% sure where I'm getting it from that she just didn't seem to have that. Now, I have to believe that if you're going to get cast in a Star Wars anything, you you do an audition. And I have to believe that if I think, hey, you know, let's get somebody who was really going to chew on the scenery and just like be an over-the-top malevolent bad dude, we want to have um, somebody who fits that. So I feel like She's going to be really, really good in a scene coming up that we haven't seen yet. But this, the scenes that we've seen her in so far, she feels weak to me. And like I said, it may be the actor. It may be the direction. It may be the way it was edited. I don't know which. Awesome, Kitty. Um, but that's just where I felt the weakness of the episode was what way do you mean weak it, weak in expression or weak in um just in in her emoting, emoting um the way she spoke her lines it felt kind of stilted like yeah the very first line she ever speaks it's it's so muffled out compared to all the lines before it i had to turn my head and i was like wow <laughs> do you re-record that maybe yeah. Uh, yeah, midweek progress. Welcome to the discussion. Glad to have you here. Says, agreed, not sure where it's coming from, but whatever the case, the actress doesn't seem very strong. And Exactly. Yeah, and we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We've got time. Um, well, you know, the thing well, is, the, the first couple episodes actually do follow in line with the first couple of scenes of a shoot. And that well, is, you know... It can take a couple of takes and even a few scenes to have wrapped up 
before you find your strength. And so it's possible that, like, well, this happens often I mean, in the film industry. Somebody my, my nails big, it in the audition. My big question isn't so much about, like, the finish? literal feeling of weakness. I'm questioning, like, you guys did say, like, you're not exactly sure where it's coming from, but I'm wondering what exactly the parts, the muffled so, one, yeah, anyway, makes sense, but... What, Are there other what can happen is it... you can kill the audition, but once you start shooting, then the nerves come back. Then all of a sudden, yeah. it's it's live. It's right. Like I, that's well, and, 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 and so, well, that's why I'm asking these questions is because like I want to know what you guys felt because there are certain points that like I hear a lot of people talk about on their reviews and I'm like, no, those felt what? exactly like would happen in that situation. Okay, so the. And so, the the stuff that I felt um, just didn't execute well was um, when she was talking to uh, I think it's the second brother, the dude with the hat, the... Liu Kang, right? Yeah, dude, Liu Kang. yes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, space Liu Kang. Um, my issue with he... okay, so he's talking like they have literally grown up together. And she seems to be talking to him in a very formal, again, very stilted kind of manner. And I, I, I'm again, it could have been the editing. It could have been that they just picked a weird take. I don't know. But it, it didn't gel. She didn't gel with this person. It didn't feel like, yeah, we grew up together, but I'm still going to try to get a, ahead of you in the game. Right. Wait. Okay. I. I, that, I feel like that, people are. I, feel. I. I feel like that's a misrepresentation of their relationships because, like, the whole brother numbering thing—that's the number of people that came before them. Okay. So, like, fair she's enough, third fair sister. Enough. That means that there were three other, or two other sisters, and now she's the third one. Okay. So, like failures, and okay. so like, that I think is where you know I I don't remember if it, I thought it was fifth brother. Uh, okay, so um, somewhere, yeah. so but, like Liu Kang's character, he's been around the gig for a while, and third sister is like she very much comes off as like the newest operative in the operation. Young, yeah, and I, I got that feeling too. Like, 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 like they were maybe directing her to come off as as feeling under the others, and they even mentioned that in the second episode. It's like you are under us. And I did feel right, like maybe the, maybe she was trying to act like like she had like you know, when when a person has that lack of confidence, they will you know they okay, they will not it, act with con they won't they won't they won't be forward well, and their confidence you know. is even weird. And I think that's like what yeah. she really portrayed is that like she very much is the newest member but of the Sith team. And so as a member of the Sith team, you're always supposed to be showing why you're supposed to be number one. And she very much feels like she's acting like a brand new, arrogant, self-righteous genius. I was going to say, arrogance I, yeah. is the word that I always came to. But, she, she, to me, struck that me as I think the type that's they're actually trying to portray. Like, I well, really yeah, felt and that's, like and she that's accurately fair. portrayed all of I'm, those traits. I'm and definitely not disputing that. Rookie is supposed to be. Um, okay, but at the same time, we have one character who's completely tonally different in his communication than the other character in the scene. And mm -hmm. in order for a 
even it shows that she's new to the team like okay, that but... really displays how rookie she is how okay, like i i agree with both of you honestly i also didn't get no, like, the yeah i don't from actually him. think you're wrong in any way that's what i'm saying is like i that, think the uh... weakness was meant to be portrayed it was more of like an actual uh non-verbal communication to the group that like right hey, but my, my, my issue my issue is even if that's the case even it was if it was supposed to be portrayed that way it didn't succeed in in making me feel that the character be per- was being portrayed in a way that i was i was believing in again mm. i'm not saying that it's it's necessarily wrong or right this is just how i felt about it that it didn't work for me in this case i personally think it's entirely possible that this was an editing issue that they picked the best scenes that this character interacted with and they didn't base it on her interactions they based it on the other characters interactions and said like this is the best take we got from Liu Kang we're using this right I don't I feel like that's definitely possible but at the same time I kind of like like I don't know if you're definitely talking about the hand cutting off moment but Uh, to me not necessarily Okay, I was getting the vibe you were because that one in that moment I thought where she talks to Liu Kang, it really felt that like there's this new credence from the Empire of hearts and minds, mm-hmm. right? Because like even though they are the Sith Empire, they're trying to be the Galactic Empire as well. So they can't be all hearts and heads. They have to be hearts and minds. And so... I think that's like really that goes to show Reba's rookiness as an inquisitor is that like she's still hearts and heads. She's like, I'm going to stab them in the chest and cut their head off. Like that's all I do. That's what a Sith is supposed to do. I'm gonna be just like Vader. Even though she doesn't know who Vader is, she's heard of him. Like yeah. and, and that is that to me was like kind of her inspiration. It's like this whole Kenobi thing is like she learned about it in basic training. Yeah. Now she's, she's in the fleet. Now she wants to make her mark. So the the Inquisitors could best be described as basically lap dogs for the Sith. They are given only a certain amount of power. They only allowed a certain amount of of leeway, so to speak. But ultimately, they are not technically Sith. However, well, see, she I've is been getting mixed reviews for that. What? It seems like they are they are a version of Sith Guard in terms of like a special operations team. Their job is to assassinate and infiltrate. They're they're a lesser Sith. They're basically meant to go do the dirty work that that Vader doesn't feel like doing. It's basically a root a very it's a very basic way to describe them, but that's kind of how the hierarchy is. They will never be recognized yeah. as Sith. They will never so... be an apprentice. But that's what right, she because... wants. She well, wants guys, to be a Sith Lord. I, I, I've got the perfect analogy for them. We all did sl- um, slow horses. Mm-hmm. They're MI6's oh, there dogs. Yeah, they're, they're the basically the exactly, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking for them. Is like and a she, version yeah. of Sith Navy SEALs because, like, they do seem to, you know abide by a lot of the code and it really felt like that's what Luke Kang's character was trying to do like there's going to be a reward like he wasn't like or else we kill the family he was like no there's a reward like incentivize these people idiot like we got to win them to our side the empire is now in charge not taking charge we are in charge we help our citizens am I the only one that feels like the third sister is about to be sent to Slough House like (laughs) yeah so I get 
I think are you weird vibes? And this kind of comes back to my thoughts on the third uh, third sister and the uh, uh, Grand Inquisitor. I my thoughts were like everyone's like they're gonna try and make her good. My thought genuinely was more the direction of like he's not dead. He's gonna be gone for a little while to let everyone believe he's dead. They'll bring him up later on. And what's going to culminate, instead of her turning to the, the you know, to the, the, the light side, however you want to phrase that, instead, because the, the Inquisitors are very much, like you guys are saying, on this path of, like, we need to do this job we're doing and convince the people to like us at the same time and, like, that you benefit well yourself by helping us. And so they're on this task, and meanwhile she's like, I'm on this power-grabbing warpath, and I have the abilities to back it up. And so the arrogance is pushing yeah. through. All so right. I think it's All going right. to be the the uh, creating your own death trap. She's going to cause – basically – build things up and it's all going to collapse yeah. at the same time and we're gonna we're gonna have to finish the the conversation on the on the specifics of the inquisitor with that for now because we do have four more episodes to get through however um i do want to make sure that we do get to the segment of what we did like and i don't have a lot to say of what i didn't like because i pretty much agree with a lot of what you guys the points you made but i don't have time to get into my specifics but I also want to like this show. I'll be honest, full disclosure. I am rooting for it to be a success. I'm not sitting here, you know, oh, I hope it fails. No. We, we actually kind of, we really don't do that here on the Ryder Brothers. We, we want to watch good shows, and if we don't like something, we'll probably do one episode. For example, our Halo review. That's the only time we talked about Halo in depth. That's the only time we are probably ever going to talk about Halo in depth. If you don't like something, don't watch it. That's the best advice that I can give anybody right now who's watching this now or hearing the recording. If you don't like it and you want to send a clear and concise message, don't watch it, don't talk about it, move on. Because these guys, they do thrive off of the negative reviews as well. They love the negativity as well because it's to them, it's like we're getting, we're affecting you in some way. That's how they they see it. And it's... Uh, Bad news sales. Yeah, there's another pop culture enthusiast out there, uh, RM Briggs, who's on Clobber and Time's channel, which is another good channel to check out. We'll give him a proper promo in the future. Um, she has said it's it's like, I can't remember exactly what her words were, but it's something like, it's like a negative emotions economy or something along those lines. She, she phrased it better. I wish I had remembered exactly what episode she said it in. I should have clipped it because that was a great point that she makes about how they thrive on the negative reviews that a lot of people do well we're just not going to participate in that i mean we'll give our feedback honestly and truthfully and if we do like something or don't like something as you have seen with our graphics that's what we're going to give you here at the writer brothers um and we're not always going to be in agreement on things there's stuff that some of us might not like or do like that we want to promote and so it's it's going to vary from from show to show with that said, I do want to touch on what I absolutely love about this show and what it's done. Now, Corion and I have talked about this, and I'm going to let him build on my point the same way that he did when uh, when we talked about it in private. And so I'm just going to, going to reiterate my stance on it. A lot of kids in John and I's and Brandon's generation, and I, Chris, would assume, and Corion, maybe yours. Actually, yeah, you guys too. Um... Basically, anyone who went and fought overseas uh, more or less grew up watching Kenobi, 
in the prequel trilogy. And whether you were a young kid like we were, or I believe you guys were probably... How old were you guys when episode one came out? If you don't mind telling the world. Tell me when the episode came out. 99? <laughs> uh, I was old yeah. when the world was young, so... I mean, 14? Okay. I mean, so, I, I watched episode two many, 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 many times. So we've many all times. had... In one way or another, we've all connected with Obi-Wan at one point or another. For me, he's always been my favorite Jedi Master of them all. Um, he's the reason why I switched my lightsaber color from uh, yellow to blue. Yellow being my favorite color, blue being my preferred Jedi color because I am I really feel like a Jedi Guardian most of the time. Uh, <laughs> I technically was a Guardian for nine years. Um, and I don't care what they say. Coast Guardsman is the stupidest thing they ever came up with. Anyway... Um, yeah. The reason I'm bringing up custodian. military history and everything else is because custodian. a lot of kids in our generation grew up watching Obi-Wan. And now those kids that especially went into combat zones who came back and suffered PTSD are now going to have this character to relate to when it comes to the hardship of loss. And I think that that is a tremendous opportunity that's been presented. And of course, it's going to depend on the overall execution of the show. A lot of commentators have expressed their fear about this resembling The Last Jedi. And I will all be honest, you're not entirely incorrect with that assessment. However, we already know what happens to Obi-Wan. We already know, and yeah, spoiler alert, in episode four. So he's going to live through this series, guys. I know, shocker. Um... We know what he becomes. What a lot of people don't understand is that the strongest person in the room, especially during times of hardship, is not always the strongest person you remember. They might put on a face in front of you. They might put on a face in front of the camera. But they're feeling the same pain that you are through whatever hardship it is. And so with Obi-Wan, here we are seeing what he went through. He's lost his family. He's lost his his religion, essentially. The R.E.M. song, I think, is perfect for Kenobi. He's lost his faith. And he doesn't he, he knows what he has to do. He just doesn't think he has the strength to do it. And that's what we are being shown in this series. We are being shown how he becomes the man we see in episode four, how he gets his resolve back. You know, he wasn't wanting to stay and just watch Luke because that's what his mission is. He wanted to stay and watch Luke because he didn't think he could, because he thinks he's done. He thinks he's, at this point in time in this show, he thinks it's over for him. He doesn't see, all he can think about, all he can do is have the nightmares of the failure and what he should have done better. And so I think in a lot of ways that can relate to a lot of soldiers that, that went and suffered through that. Now they have their, their one of their favorite Jedi characters that's literally going through the same thing. And now they can see one of their heroes, someone they always looked up to, have to go through a similar trial and a similar hardship. And I think that that is, is probably one of the best things. And Corion, I, I think you have an eloquent way of adding on from what I'm saying here, so... Please go right ahead. Yeah, so I, I do cover a lot of this in my video, so please check it out. But Yes, absolutely. Um, John, put the link to his latest video in the chat, please. <laughs> but uh, I will say this. Look, um, in the last 
movie where we see Obi-Wan. He's lost his family. He's lost all of his friends. He's lost the world he knows. And then after all that loss, he had to go to some strange planet and kill the boy he raised. Who he's treated like a brother for a long period of time. I can't imagine the pain and suffering that all of that loss and then having to go and murder the one person you have left that you care about. Right? Because as far as he's aware, as far as he's concerned, that's what happened. Right? The last time he used the Force, the last time he used those combat instincts, those military instincts that we've you know, all had to train for. He used those to kill the person he loved as a brother. So it's no wonder he shut himself off from the force. It's no longer wonder he shut himself off from his day-to-day life. He picked the most monotonous, basic, straightforward, going through the motions he possibly could so he wouldn't have to confront that pain, that trauma. Because he knew that if he opened that box he'd really just start crying and wouldn't be able to stop. And I think anybody who's seen combat can relate to that in some level. And having Leia show up in his life and be so much like Padme, so much like his sister-in-law, because he knew they were married, right? So this is his adoptive sister-in-law and he's seeing that girl basically be a little Padme and it's bringing him back it's bringing him back to the realization of I'm still needed here I still have a purpose I don't have to just go through the motions because people need me and that's a very powerful motivator to move forward in one's life is being needed and yeah, it took Bail Organa kicking him in the butt to get him out the door to get Quite going. literally. Well, but, I, I think I think that's a misconception. It wasn't so much Bail Organa kicking him in the butt. It was Bail Organa forgiving him. That too. Because there's a lot of that, like, I feel like I'm personally responsible for literally raising the death of the Jedi. And then right. Bail goes, dude, none of us saw this coming. It's not your fault. You got it you got to take that burden off yourself. Right, but then... And then, like, that's not so much a kick kick in the butt as it is a forgiveness, and then a, like, pick yourself up. Yeah. You know, he needed somebody to relieve him of his burden. And I think he also has a lot of survivor guilt, too, right? Mm Because as far as he's aware, for a good long while, it's him and Yoda were the only survivors, right? Well, and, and, and not to mention, like, even when he meets this kid, a lot of people say it's super cruel that like he tells him to quit the fight go live a normal life and it's like no, no he's as trying far to as save he... him yeah he's not... there is no other option like being a jedi like there's a lot of things about being a jedi that are great yep. and you can like adhere to them but like you can't be superman in a world that is literally haunting you you yeah. have to be he... normal well, man e- even just consider that's your this. new Even just consider this. I 100% believe that if Obi-Wan had a ship stashed away somewhere in the desert, like it was just like buried under the sand or whatever, he would have 100% said... The Jawa said they broke it. They found it. 
Right. Well, I'm just saying, if he had had that ship lying around, I 100% believe he would have taken the kid and said, this is the coordinates to my ship. Unbury it. Get on it. Go to any other planet in the galaxy and just go to ground. You know, become a construction worker. You know, go break down Imperial starships like uh, a a certain young uh, Cal Kestis was doing in uh, Fallen Order. Like, whatever. But he can't because when you think about it he can't have the the jedi here he can't let them know why he can't have the jedi here because they do have the capability to read people's minds he can't actually admit to being obi-wan because again they can read people's minds and he's trying to at the same time still try to save this kid yeah he has to to be cold but he's very specific like yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He's trying to save him for himself. Like, dude, yes, I get the code, but hang the code. His, yeah, yeah I, his, I was totally okay with, with his portrayal in that scene. Yeah, yeah. his yeah. first... But and, also, like, he's a first, general versus a teenager. You yeah, know, his, like, he's his first, a hardened... His first and only general. duty is Luke Skywalker. Yep. He is... And, and the safety and exactly. protection of Luke is his primary responsibility. Yeah, yeah, so he's not even so, retired. He's an active-duty 60-year-old general. General. You know, 50, I think, because he's 60 and the... the, Right, but he only has one mission, and that's to keep Luke a secret, which um, now I'm noticing a plot hole kind of by by necessity, unfortunately. Like, they should have changed his last name. But... No, I already know that... See, there's the plot hole that people, like, are mentioning, and that's the thing that, like, how is he hiding him from Anakin on Tatooine? And it's because he thought Anakin was dead. But Anakin has been told for sure and confirmed by the emperor padme and the children died mm-hmm. so the true. reason why nobody's looking for luke and leia is because they're dead but organa and kenobi's relationship is too close and that's why they couldn't call in the military i've watched this like four times and i literally read the script today like line by line it says the reason they called kenobi is because they cannot bring any suspicion on her relationship to them yeah. all right because quick, anybody brandon. will trade any information to the empire brandon what did you like you were excited to talk about this um we will be talking about it of course next week but uh let's try to get some some more positive thoughts I mean, from brandon and chris real quick to close us out uh i liked i liked quite a bit um, I mean, it, it wasn't perfect, obviously, but, I mean, I don't expect perfection. Especially with, you know, some of what we have gotten. Uh, I really like the first episode. I'm curious how, like, there's one point I've heard made in regards to the Rebel series and Konobi, like, very suavely just dispatching Darth Maul. But also having taken uh, in Rebels and then also taking this huge break uh, if, o- across these 10 years, even though in theory he's supposed to have been training. I'm curious to see how they, if or how they tried to deal with that. Or if something happens and things get, he gets really strong or something throughout this series. I, I'm willing I, to I, wait I to see where is, this goes. I think there definitely um, is an answer, but I'll wait to give it. I. I believe there could be. Um, I like uh, the fact that when they in the first episode, part of the reason it's so slow is you see him repeating this monotonous work. But it's not just monotonous. He has a, a, a like incredibly 
specific dough routine he does. He it shows him he does his work. He cuts off his slice of meat. He wraps it and hide it. Though I kept expecting the over the work overseer to call him out on that. Kind of surprised that didn't happen because that it's super in the open. Like it's not even that stealthily done. He just kind of does it. Um, and considering they like cut pay down, which I liked that moment. That was the first indication of like he's not like because they do the the setup of you know. A Jedi can't help but want to help, and then there's that. That's the first. That scene is like almost immediately after that. So I had the nice setup of transitioning to that, where he just looks at him and has that urge to be like, "You're a douche," like. But he's like, he just takes the money and leaves. And it sh but with that, you show that he has developed this routine. He's and what do people do? They create routines in day-to-day -day boring life you do the same thing over and over and over so it does a good job of like cementing like he's doing something he's never not done this yeah so like for the most part i mean first episode in general i liked it was definitely slow i know people who wouldn't like it because of that but i liked what they were trying to translate with it and i feel like they for the most part they did well uh, I do get Corion's points with the third sister. She definitely... I have mixed feelings on... Depending on what they tried to convince me of with her. Um, I I thought the Inquisitors... Like, the rest of the, the Inquisitors, specifically the Fifth Son and the Grand Inquisitor, I liked the their portrayals of, like... They're they're very much in the same understanding. Like the fifth, very much understood what the Grand Inquisitor's saying, doing his intention with the whole scene, and it's con consistently. Like there's consistency in that of like, I understand what needs done. I will do what you need me to do. Like they're on the same page while she's just doing her whack stuff, and so. But in the second episode, because I feel like the second can be picked apart more. Because it has a little more divergence in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of people complain that he didn't use his lightsaber. Because he could easily start dispatching people. But you're also trying to stay hidden. And if you start flashing around this bright flashy blade that cuts through things. Like yeah you can cut through people. But um, you also become a beacon. <laughs> like, Although you do have this child who just keeps yelling the word Jedi. Every time you turn around incessantly just oh you are a jedi are you a jedi jedi like oh cool thanks child Say it so the whole shut up can hear. <laughs> like Dude. but he the hand-to-hand -hand combat was done really well and they did something that i love to see in com when combat scenes that um i i refer to and associate with jackie chan combat scenes because he's one of the main people i've seen talk about it though obviously other people have done it and one of the things Jackie Chan always has done when he choreographs a fight scene is you can't have a hero, like, in a fight scene, particularly hand-to-hand. -hand. The hero can't be overly powerful, like, especially if you're fighting a group of people. The hero, there's no way for one man to fight 20 dudes nonstop and take no hits. It's not happening. It's not realistic. So you see this man who's used to using a saber but does ha has been trained otherwise fighting people and taking hits because he's not using a lightsaber if he was using a lightsaber he could walk through this hallway darth vader through the hallway call it a day find this child cut the door open like but he's not doing that 
he's trying to do things subtly he like i liked the scene in in the in the in the drug shop where he like does you know mixes stuff together improperly causes a distraction though he when he walks in the next place he immediately takes everything off because we got to see him mcgregor's face um and then fights in there and then there's the fight scene where he drops the dust he got from his totally not his daughter like like there were some moments that i liked although on the flip side when they're on the rooftop and he's having a shootout with these two bounty hunters which someone made the point of i like that he does miss a bunch because he's he's not a he's not a blaster user so like he's using blasters which is very not him there's also never not looking backwards yeah he's but almost al- <laughs> always every shot is pew, pew. but also but with he's that always the, looking at leia one thing i i could have brought which i didn't think about in the dislike that scene did bug me though because you have the shootout with two bounty hunters at one point with him and she is directly behind me you're gonna convince me that you're missing him towards her with her in line and you don't clip her like she was literally in the path of fire nowhere to be hit and i'm like you you have set this child in 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 your path of fire her, her jedi force power is plot armor dude dude plot like armor. i mean i i will say i did see some people complain about her have uh like possibly intuitively using her jedi uh like force abilities and they're like that was never canon she didn't learn uh, start figuring out how to do that until i was like yeah well the thing with my my dispute with that is she doesn't understand or start to realize that she can do it until those uh i th- was it episode luke trains five? her after episode six yeah but the my point to that is is like up until i think it's episode five or six she doesn't realize she can do it that does not mean she couldn't have been intuitively doing these things no if you don't thing know and you think it's Anakin, normal and like, skywalker was a hundred percent force and that exactly. means that Leia and Luke are fifty percent well, force yeah. each. Part of what gets him noticed that, like, in the first the place. Most powerful beings besides Anakin, who's half so, a person himself. So right now, right now is a perfect example of why we really should contemplate going to a three-hour show. Because um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're down to our last ten minutes, and Chris, I want to give you a chance to express okay. what you did like. So please go ahead. Yeah, uh, I liked Leia. To be honest, I, it's a big risk uh, casting a, a child actor in a prominent role, let, let alone an established character like Leia. And I don't know for sure if I like it in terms of it wasn't necessary for the story, but I like it in terms of I like her in her portrayal of Leia. I believed she was Leia the whole time. Uh, felt like Leia to me. And I, I, and, I and honestly, the, the scene between her and uh, Senator Organa. If you told me that uh, that George Lucas himself directed that scene, if he if, if he was like a, a, a secret guest director in that scene, I would have believed you because I, when I saw that scene, it felt so much like George Lucas to me that it, it just kind of it struck me. I almost <laughs> watered up a little bit, and maybe it seems like a like a, a not not like. Really, not 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 the first scene that everyone would think of as oh that's that was the best scene in the, in Disney Star Wars. Maybe it's not the best scene in, in Disney Star Wars, but it was kind of one of my favorites to be honest. 
Um, so I like that, and and I think uh, I think there's there's potential there to, to lean into that that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So now we've got we, we've got. I assume that's that's otherwise you pretty much hit everything. Um, we've got strange new worlds giving us a strong father character with uh, with Doctor Mbenga, and now we have uh, now we're seeing that same kind of similar but in its own special way with Bail Organa, and I think that's fantastic um, to to kind of see that come back into uh into the in the mainstream that yes you can have strong there are bad parents out there and that's fine to have stories about darth vader being a bad dad but it's also there's also good ones out there so don't forget owen is portrayed as being a strong father figure as an uncle you know an adoptive father that's a new one he comes off seen like a positive adoptive father like and then not to mention like uh, Bail Organ is not just being a strong male father, he's also being an educational male father. Like, he knows the wit that he is raising. He knows, like, he knows all of uh, Padme's accomplishments. He admired her forever. She was, like, one of his greatest friends in the Senate. And so, that, and, and that to, to me goes to one of the points that a lot of people complain about, like, how does, uh, and, or Obi Wan and, Organa actually have any kind of war connection and it's Padme like everything Padme did Organa was near which means every time Organa needed any kind of help the first Jedi's he relied on was Obi-Wan and so while we may not have any episodes that show us those experiences like as far as senators go they very all clearly had their favorite Jedi to call a lot of them like Anakin because he was supposed to be the best and Palpatine was like pimping him out but like obi-wan was called on by the faithful by the like because as far as knights and masters go obi-wan was the most mobile yeah and so there's a lot of chance for them to have a lot of wartime relationship on various levels maybe not direct conflict experience but at the same time as close as you can get between a senator and an actual frontline general yeah and uh I will also say this too, I really like that all of the trailer footage has pretty much been played out at this point. Most of what we saw in the trailers, we saw in the first couple episodes. So we're going into uncharted territory, and I'm cool with that. That's probably the way that shows should be teased from now on. Just show the first couple episodes in your trailer, and then let us decide if we want to watch the rest. But also don't like have scenes in there for expectations, because that was one of the downsides of playing the severance trailer over and over like oh hey that hasn't happened yet oh hey that hasn't happened yet oh hey we get to look forward to that and it's like well that kind of ruins the experience a little bit so all right any last positive real quick positive thoughts for uh kenobi before we hit the uh before we hit the final uh well we're pretty much in the final home stretch at this point but yeah Um, right i mean just as a as a really quick note Obviously, it's Ian McGregor, and we know he's a good actor, and we know he knows Obi-Wan and all that jazz. I will say, the very end, when the third sister tells him about Anakin, his selling on that was so good. And the ending, staring at him, and then transitioning over to Vader, dude, that, I was like, alright, <laughs> listen... <laughs> You've, dude, mm. 
the the thing that gets to me so the best point i think is the fact that like obi-wan did take a second to save leia but like in reality it was maybe two seconds like he had to reach out for the force grab it again and then the way that he caught her was in the most Mm. masterful way right like he brought the force up to her and then brought her back down gentle as a feather like that was no luke trying to get a rock up on another rock that was like (sighs) and it took him all of like three seconds and he just had to decide like is it okay to risk getting caught because i don't know if anybody noticed the moment the inquisitors found out that shoot the third sister had done her job they were like get a brigade down here immediately so like the reason why obi-wan is hiding is because as soon as his name shows up on the charts everyone's looking for him and he just knows that that's because of his relationship to palpatine and being a member of the jedi council right like he literally is on the most wanted list and so he knows that and that's why he's playing so discreet and i think that like a lot of people aren't paying attention to that like all throughout all of star wars everybody who wants to remain anonymous wears a cloak so like yeah he may be wearing his saber on his hilt but like the only reason people like leia know about that is because their family knew about it and they tell family stories at bedtime humble brags you know inspiration for your children to grow up to and live up to like organa and his wife experienced that and they also like that explains a lot of like why leia's character is so aggressive is because she grew up as an adopted loved child like these parents are actively teaching her how to be a senator like richie rich child which was the last thing i really wanted to commend the show for was the fact that like we finally have a visible wage gap like in the rest of the series as it's known we've only really seen like the opera but now we've seen like a rich person's droid and it's like the ultimate iphone right whereas like every other droid we've met is borderline a bucket of bolts Okay, I'm just putting this out there now. Um, all my headcanon now reads that all the uh, stormtroopers, when they're issued their playing deck, Obi Wan Kenobi is the Jack of Diamonds. Called it, dude. That's it. It has to be. Yep. Like that's what I mean, though. Is like he, but he does everything to portray that, and I think that's like one of the main reasons why he has no connection to the physical force is because like he knows how much that just one peeping tom which the jawa came from the back of his house it didn't come from the front door it came from the back door so that means like if he was practicing yoga anytime moving rocks people are seeing that but the moment that he finds out anakin's alive and he gets on the ship he goes anakin and anakin wakes up in his tank which means that like he's been actively flexing the force this whole time trying to talk to Qui-Gon like so he's flexing the internal mental meditative force that he can control but he can't like actually do his lifting rocks and stuff because that's going to get witnesses witnesses want money especially in the outer rim especially next to Luke so he's like completely discreet about it he's passively connected to the force before he reaches out for Leia the same way Donnie Yen's character in, in Rogue One was connected to the force he didn't have the power but he could hear and understand it. And so he's not being overtly about. So yeah, I think that's a correct assessment. Um, But unfortunately, uh, that's about all the time we're going to have to discuss it this week. 
Uh, however, we will be back. We got a packed show uh, coming next week with Strange New Worlds, Episode 5, Kenobi, and of course, the return of the Orville. My name is Petey York with the Ryder Brothers. Thank you to everybody who watched tonight. We hope to see you again. And uh, with that, we will see you next week.